All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Ignite. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, we are glad you're here. You're in for a special treat this morning as Paul, our Sunnyland campus pastor, is going to be uh, bringing up the uh, bringing the message and sort of wrapping up our uh, Experiencing Christmas series by talking about experiencing God's love, as you might have guessed from the video. It's going to be a great day, I think. Uh, I want to kind of get us going this morning by asking you a question. When was the first time that you felt deeply loved in a significant way? I was thinking about it this week and thinking uh, about, for me, I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a, a picture of my grandpa. Um, my mom and dad split up um, before I was even born. Uh, my mom remarried, but my, my stepdad and I uh, never really totally connected. And uh, my grandpa was sort of the dad figure in my life. He was the one that taught me how to throw a football. He was the one that would show up to track meets for me. He was the one um, that taught, taught me about character, that uh, he was the one that I looked up to and wanted to be like. And uh, and so he was very influential in my life. Uh, during my senior year of high school, partway through the year, my stepdad got a job, took, my, took them uh, to a different state and a different city, and I finished up part of the, uh, the spring and uh, summer I lived with my grandparents in just a really special time and meaningful time in my life and got to hang out with grandpa and grandma and, and uh, really get to see their lives up close and personal. And it was... It, uh, just a transformational summer for me. But I remember uh, at the end of the, the year, the end of that summer, excuse me, as I was kind of packing up and getting ready to head off to college, I was packing up my car, and uh, my grandpa was always sort of the stoic, I mean, very warm, very loving, uh, but sort of didn't express emotion a lot, didn't ex was a man of few words, was sort of classic, I think, for that generation, the kind that, you know, you could, he was a farmer, you'd get kicked by a cow, you know, his leg would be dangling on the end or something, and he'd never say anything, you know, like, he'd be like, I'm fine, you know, kind of go on with work, and, you know, just that kind of a guy, but I remember, um, like I said, I'm at that last day, I'm packing up, I pack up my car, and I look over at Grandpa, and there's uh, tears that are just streaming down his cheeks, and I went over, and I gave him a hug, and, and he just said, you know, Russ, we love you, and we're so proud of you. It was the first time, I think, in my life that I ever uh, really experienced love quite like that, a love that was um, really unconditional, not, not loving you for what you did or for you know, what you added, the value that you added to somebody else, but just loved for you. And for me, man, that's, a, that's an image I'll take with me to my grave. I'll, I'll remember that moment uh, my entire life. How about for you? What was a significant moment? What was a significant time uh, in your life? Maybe the first time or maybe just a significant one when you felt or experienced love like that. Uh, I know this might peg some of your weird meters, but go with me. Would you turn to a person or two or three around you and just share the first thing that comes to mind? If you're comfortable sharing, just share a snapshot of that kind of story. Who was, who was it? What was the circumstances? A time when you experienced love in a profound way. It's okay to talk in church. Go ahead, take about 30 seconds, uh, turn to those around you, and share your answer.
actually already gone, uh, heading over to Sunnyland to go preach there. Um, this morning, as Russ talked about, we're going to be spending some time uh, experiencing the love of Christmas. And we know that this is how Christmas is supposed to be, don't we? We all have hope that during the Christmas season, uh, it's supposed to be filled with love. And, and we go out of our way to, to make this happen, right? We go out of our way to buy presents for family and friends so that we can demonstrate love to them. We travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to demonstrate love for family by spending time with them. Anybody travel anywhere for Christmas, right, to go love? Everybody who's here, okay, local, okay. Uh, but lots of people go and, and travel hundreds of miles to demonstrate love for family. Uh, we put up with family we do not like very much, right, because during the Christmas holiday, we're supposed to love one another. Anybody in the room like that, right, like put up with family you don't like a couple okay um and yet for so many of us going through this season getting ready uh, getting finished with this christmas season does not feel all that love filled does it we unwrap the present thinking it's going to make us feel loved and it doesn't we spend some time uh with family and the conflict that happens over christmas dinner doesn't make us feel all that warm and cozy and at the end of the month the trees are going to come down the lights are going to be put away and the kids toys are already forgotten i know my kids have already forgotten theirs and we just don't feel like love was very present do we for many of us, this is how Christmas shapes up. And if we really think about it, as the month is coming to an end, as, as Christmas is now over, we look back and we think, was, was there really that much love this Christmas? Did I, did I really experience Christmas love? Was I filled with this overwhelming sense of God's love for me this Christmas? And for most of us, I think the answer is no. Like, I didn't feel that overwhelming sense of Christmas. But this isn't how Christmas was supposed to be. Remembering the birth of Jesus, celebrating with friends and family, should fill us with an overwhelming love, should get us to experience love in ways that we never would have imagined possible. So this morning, we're going on a little bit of a journey, a journey of love, a journey to help us experience the love of Christmas. The journey started for us this morning as, as Russ shared the story of the first time he really felt like he was loved, right? When he shared the story of his grandfather as the tears are streaming down his, uh, his grandfather's face. And in that moment, Russ experienced love like he'd never experienced before. And, and for all, those of you in the room, as you shared, right, there was stories of, of the first time you felt loved, the first time you felt that unconditional love. And yet, despite these stories that we have in our lives, despite these times where we felt this kind of love, we still have a really, really hard time understanding that God loves us, don't we? The, the love of Christmas for many of us is really, really hard. For many of us, it's hard to understand God's love for us. While we might know it intellectually, we might be able to communicate to others that God loves us, the hard reality is that for so many of us, we have a hard time really feeling God's love for us. We have a hard time really experiencing God's love for us, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. And, and, and I would say it's hard for two reasons. It's hard for us to really experience God's love because, first of all, our only tangible experience with love is how we're loved by others here on this earth. And truth be told, we have been loved imperfectly by others. While we might be able to describe a love that's perfect, that we might be able to give language to a perfect love, we might say that uh, love is always forgiving, right? Or love puts up with my faults. We might say that love is giving or that love is always sacrificial. Emotionally, we only feel love as we've experienced it. 
And for many of us, it's hard for us to truly experience the love of Christmas, the love of God, because for many of us, we wish that our stories had happy endings. We wish and we hope that our stories look more like a movie, right? Where everything at the end turns out okay. Where our stories are like Russ's story with his grandfather, right? His grandfather loves him amazingly. And, and so we have these touchy-feely kind of moments that we wish our lives were like. And yet, for so many of our stories, for many, so many of our lives, uh, there's not happy endings. There's not the great movie ending, is there? For many of our lives, I know mine included, right? Our stories of love are imperfect. I think about my, my parents and how um, love broke down in their relationship as they ended up getting divorced. I, I think about my father who was, um, had um, addictions in his life and because of his addictions, he was unable to love me as I always wanted him to love me. I think about the girl who broke my heart tragically when I was in college. I think about all the times in my life where love has failed me, where people have failed me. You see, for sometimes, for, I, I should say, you see, for all of us, sometimes love is not perfect. I would say 100% of the time, love here on earth is not perfect. It's why at Christmas, why we struggle so much to experience true love, because people have failed us time and time again. Parents have let us down. Brothers and sisters have let us down. Boyfriends and girlfriends have let us down. Spouses have let us down. Coworkers have let us down. The church has let us down. Over and over and over again, love has failed us. And so the first reason why we have a hard time experiencing the amazing and wonderful love that Jesus offers during Christmas is because we don't have a tangible experience to truly understand it. A blog writer, Kia Stevens, wrote this about her relationship with her own dad. She said, my childhood family of three ended almost as soon as it began. I was a baby when my parents divorced, and consequently, I grew up spending little to no time with my dad. As a result, I unknowingly equated the absence of my father as a child with God's seeming absence as an adult. She said, he didn't speak to me audibly. He couldn't be seen. My prayers seemed to go unanswered. Many times I felt ignored, believing I could never know and be known by an invisible God. She continues, I had come to view God as distant, silent, and uninterested with the ache I carried in my soul. See, for Kia and for so many of us to understand that God listens or that he's present, that he speaks, that he doesn't ignore us, is hard to comprehend because for Kia, her earthly father, and for many of us, our earthly fathers did not love us well. And so our experiences on this earth greatly cloud our view of God's love for us. So one of the reasons why we have a hard time understanding God's love is because we're loved imperfectly. The second reason that we also have a hard time understanding the love of Christmas, the love of God, is that while we know that others have failed us, we also know that we have failed to love others as well. While others fail to love us perfectly, we also fail to love others perfectly as well. We mess up. We make mistakes. We blow it time and time again. And because of this, we often think that we're not deserving of God's love for us. We might have been mean to that other person. We might have cheated on that other person. Maybe we turned our back on our parents. Maybe we screamed at our kids for the hundred millionth time. 
We turn our back on God, and we've done it this over and over and over and over and over again. And there's a part of us that thinks, well, if God really knew me, if God really knew the real me, there is no way that he could ever love me. If that person really knew the real me, there's no way that they could ever love me. Let me just give you a reality check here, if I could take an aside. God knows you better than you know yourself, and yet he still loves you. You see, for me and for you, we've been trained to think that often in our lives that love is conditional, meaning we've learned from a young age because of our brokenness that that earthly love is conditional, that this person will only love me if I'm good enough. I will only love this other person if they are good enough. As long as they do not hurt me, as long as I do not hurt them, and and, and what ends up happening then is that love becomes performance-based. As long as they measure up to my standards, I will love them. As long as I measure up to their standards, they will love me. We set conditions on love. But the amazing and wonderful thing about Christmas and the love that we discover with the birth of Jesus is that love, God's love, is not conditional. The love that God has for us is not conditional. It is unconditional. His love is not given because we have earned it. It is not given because we are good enough. Rather, his love is given at Christmas in just the opposite way. His love is given because we have not earned it. You know, in the book of 1 John, which is found in the New Testament, the writer, this guy named John, knows a great deal about the love of God. See, John walked it. He experienced the love of God. He was one of the original disciples of Jesus, and he himself described himself as the one whom Jesus loved, meaning he experienced the love of Christ, the love of Jesus firsthand. And in the book of 1 John, one of the areas that he's addressing is that in the church, people were not loving one another well. People were being mean to one another, not taking care of one another not giving to others in need, not extending forgiveness, not extending grace to one another. And so what John does in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 1 John is that he commands the people there to love one another. But this morning, I don't want to talk about us loving one another. Now, during the Christmas season, I think we could all probably use a a message on how to love one another better, right, as as we just got done with family gatherings and, and hanging out together. And I'm sure at some of your families, there was conflict and disagreement and not the most loving kind of thing happening. And so we could all use a message on loving one another better during Christmas. But I don't want to talk about loving one another better this morning. Rather, what I want to talk about is the reason that John gives for us to love one another better. And the reason that he does, that he gives this this reason for loving one another is because at its core, the way we love one another reflects on the core of who God is. Basically what John communicates in 1 John 3 and 4 is this, you know why you love one another? Because God loves you. God is madly in love with you and his love for you is not conditional. You didn't earn his love. No, God freely gives his love to you. And the demonstration of this love is that God gave his son. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, and verse 16, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in the verse 16 it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. See, love is God's basic character. We do not know love without God because love comes from God. Now, you might be asking, how does this passage change my outlook on Christmas? How can I truly experience the love of Christmas by this verse? You might be saying, you know, I know this already, right? God sent his son in the form of a baby into the world. The angels sang, the shepherds came, the wise men brought gifts. I know this already, right? You know this story backwards and forwards. And yet, I would imagine that for most of us in this room, we still struggle to experience God's love on Christmas. We know the Christmas story, and yet we still struggle to experience God's love on Christmas. You see, the real way in which we experience love at Christmas, the way, frankly, we experience the love of God, not just during the month of December, but all year long, is that we just have to take a moment and reflect on the truth of these few verses. We, just, we need to take a moment and let these, these verses just penetrate our souls and our whole being. Like at every moment of every day, just be thinking about what these verses really mean to us. Not just some story that we read in a, in a book but, or something that we sing Christmas carols about, but something that penetrates our very soul, our very being. And so what I want to do is I want us to experience, I want us to reflect on over and over and over again what these verses mean and how we experience true Christmas love. First thing that we need to reflect on in these verses and at Christmas and throughout the year is that in this we learn that God makes his love tangible. We learn that God makes his love tangible. He makes his love something that we can experience. He makes his love something that has got flesh to it. In verse 9, it says, God sent his one and only son into the world that we may live. As I said before, we all know that his son Jesus came in the form of a baby born into a manger. Now just do me a favor. Think about that, that experience you had that you were first loved, right? That you shared with that other person. That time you first really knew what love was. And I would imagine that in every single case, it was something that was tangible. You could touch it. You could experience it, right? Something you could taste. It was, it was a word. It was a gift. It was a hug. Something that made that, rub, that, that love real for, for, um, for Russ, right? It was the tears coming down his grandfather's face. It was real. It was tangible. And what we learn at Christmas is this is what God does at Christmas, if you look at the end of 1 John uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, it says that God is love. His very nature is love. And what God does at Christmas is he makes his very presence known. He makes love come to earth in flesh. In the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, the, the word that's referred there in, first, in the Gospel of John, the word is actually Jesus. So another way to say this verse is, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then in verse 14, he says, 
the word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And in Colossians 1.15, he says, he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So let me lay this out for us logically. If God is love, and we already know that for us to experience love, in many ways, it needs to be tangible. We need to experience it. We need to be able to touch it, right, to know it then the only way that we could truly experience God's love is that his love needed to become flesh. God himself needed to come to earth. And he chose to do this by sending his son Jesus, the image of the invisible God, to be born in the humblest of ways. Born not on a throne as a king to be worshipped, although that's what he was. Not as a warrior who would do battle over the forces of evil, although he would. Not as a wise teacher who would transform the world with his words, although he did, but as a little baby. Crying in its mother's arms. Because a baby, we understand that, don't we? We understand that. We've experienced that before. We can hold a baby in our arms and understand how much a mother loves that child, right? We can can hold, I know when I've held my own kids, right? There's, There's a bond, there's a movement, there's an experience of love in those moments. So God chooses to send his son in the form of a little baby born in a manger so that we could experience a tangible love, the love of God in a real way. This guy named Matt Woodley wrote a book called God Being With Us. And in his book, he tells a story about world-famous rock singer Bono. And uh, he said this, uh, uh, Woodley said this in his book, after returning home from a long tour, Bono, the lead singer for U2, returned to Dublin and attended a Christmas Eve service. At some point in that service, Bono grasped the truth at the heart of the Christmas story. In Jesus, God became a human being. With tears streaming down his face, Bono realized, and this is the words of Bono, the idea that God, if there's a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw. A child, I just thought, wow, just the poetry of that. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Incarnation basically means that God came to dwell in a human form. That's it's a theological word for um, God coming to dwell. And then Bono says, love must be made flesh. And so the first thing that we need to reflect on over and over and over again, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year, to really understand God's love for us is that God made a way for his love to be tangible, for us to experience it. Which then leads to the second thing that we need to keep reflecting on over and over again at Christmas. The second thing that we need to uh, reflect on over and over again to truly experience God's love And that's when we realize that God's love is sacrificial. You see, I'm sure Russ has shared this this last month, but Christmas is not the end of the story. Christmas is only the beginning. 
You know, in this country, we make Christmas out to be a really big deal. We spend months getting ready for Christmas. We spend billions and billions of dollars during this time of year. But did you know, know that for the early church, Christmas was not even celebrated? Because for those early followers of Jesus, Christmas was not the big holiday. No, the big holiday was Easter. Because Easter is what really matters. In verse 10 of 1 John, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Another translation says that Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a really fancy theological word, but basically means this. It means that he was, a, he was an atoning sacrifice. He was someone who came in our place. Here's the reality. You and I mess up. You and I make mistakes. And while God is love, that's a key part of his character. The first John says that God is love. God is also just, meaning that when a rule is broken, there needs to be a penalty. Just like when I get a speeding ticket, which sometimes happens, um, I'm going to need to pay a fine. In this case, with God, the, the judge is God. The one who's giving the fine is God. He is the one who determines whether I'm guilty or innocent. Now, at the same time, in, in that situation, God is also the victim. He is the one that I've sinned against. He's the one that I've made a mistake against. He's the one that I've disobeyed. And so what we have in Jesus is one who pays my speeding ticket for me. He intervenes between me and God and pays the fine for me. And so at Christmas, we remember and reflect on the love of God because we realize that now the atoning sacrifice has come into the world. The method, the, the means by which the, my penalties, my junk, my mess is going to be taken care of has come into the world and that eventually that little baby is going to grow up to be a man. He's going to live a perfect, perfect life. And then he's going to be sacrificed and killed on a cross. And in that dying on the cross and rising again, he is pay, paying the fine for you and for me. Now, you might have heard this before. In fact, I'm guessing that if you've been here for a while, I'm sure that you have. But let me tell you how this story really helped me to understand just how much God loves me. Let me share the first time I really grasped the love that God had for me. I came to Christ that surrendered my life to him when I was in college during my sophomore year. But like so many others, I too struggled to grasp emotionally how much God loved me. While intellectually I understood it, it was hard for that message to go the 12 inches from my head to my heart. As I said earlier, you see, for me, my parents were divorced. And there was always a distance between my dad and I. And because of this, like the blogger from earlier, I too had a hard time thinking that God loved me, that God was close to me. For me, love became very performance-based. Love was earned. Love was given when I was perfect, when I obeyed, when I did everything right. But there was this time about seven years ago where the love of God really made sense to me, where I really, really got it. It happened for me when I was in seminary. Uh, kind of crazy, right? I'm studying to be a pastor and not really quite understanding yet the love of God for me, but here I'm in seminary, right? And I was in class, and I was, uh, it was actually sitting in an Old Testament class with one of my favorite professors, Dr. Ferris. And we were studying at the time the Old Testament book of Genesis, specifically chapter 22. 
And sitting there in that class being taught by Dr. Ferris, um, I really grasped for the first time how much God loved me. You see, in chapter 22 of Genesis, we find God asking this guy named Abraham to go and take his one and only son Isaac and to sacrifice him. That he was going to go take his one and only son and take him up this hill and basically kill him as an offering to God. Now, we look at this story like this, a story like this in Genesis of Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac, and we think, this story is just barbarism. This is just crazy, crazy, right? Like, why, in, why would God tell Abraham to go and do this thing? It just seems like, it just seems ridiculous to us. Who in their right mind would go and sacrifice his own kid? Now, what's even crazier about this story is that this is the son this is the son that Abraham has been waiting decades for. If you know anything about the story, Abraham was incredibly old when Isaac was born. His wife, Sarah, was incredibly old when Isaac was born. It was a miracle that she got pregnant in the first place. And not only that, was it a miracle that this son had come that they've been waiting decades for. Not only this, this son was a fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a baby. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son, and from this son, an entire nation would be born, meaning there was going to be offspring upon offspring upon offspring coming from this one child. And now God is coming on the scene and saying, Abraham, this son I've promised you, this son you've been waiting decades for, this promise for you, I want you to go and kill him. And that's what Abraham gets ready to do. He takes him up this hill, He's going to sacrifice him at an altar. And I remember sitting there in class thinking about that story. And I remember thinking about my own son, Joshua, who was just under the age of three at the time. Joshua, I want you to come here for a second. This is my son, Joshua. And Joshua, I'm going to ask you some questions. And Joshua, are you perfect? <laughs> are you perfect? No, you're not perfect. <sighs> do you do everything right? <laughs> Just answer it. No. no. Do I ever get mad at you? Yes. Do I ever yell at you? Yeah. Do I love you? Would I ever get rid of you? Would I ever sacrifice you like Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac? Even though my son is not perfect, even though my son makes me mad at times, there is no way in earth that I would sacrifice him. I would do everything that I could to protect him. I would rather die than see something happen to my son. I mean, even a couple weeks ago, we went to go see The Lion King in Chicago. And my mother-in-law wanted him to take a picture next to a balcony we, were, we had balcony seats, and she wanted him to sit next to the balcony and take his picture. And I was like, no way, Joshua, you're not even getting close to that balcony edge because I don't want you to slip. I don't want you to fall. It could also be the fact that both of us are deathly afraid of heights. But, but anyway, there was no way that he was getting close to that balcony because I didn't want anything to happen to my son. I love him too much. There is no way that I could ever do what Abraham was going to do with Isaac. There's no way. 
You know, sit down. Thanks, Joshua. Now, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, at the last minute, God tells Abraham not to do it. In fact, God provides a ram to sacrifice instead. So you have to ask the question, what is this story really about? Why ask Abraham to do this if in the end God was not going to have him do it in the first place? You have to ask, what is this story about? Some would say that it was a test of Abraham's faith. Abraham being tested by God. God, Abraham saying, Abraham, do you trust me, right? I'm not saying to Abraham, do you trust me? But that's not at all what this story is about. And it hit me as Dr. Ferris was talking about this story. He said, this story is not at all about testing of Abraham's faith. This story is all about a foreshadowing to Jesus. You see, the true son being sacrificed in this story is not Isaac. The true son being sacrificed is Jesus. God sends the sacrifice. He sends his one and only son, his one and only perfect son. His son, who never made God mad, never had God yell at him. He sends Jesus to the earth in the form of a baby for you and for me. He sends Jesus to live in this messy, icky world where he had to experience life with all of its pain and anguish like you and me. He sends his son Jesus to suffer and to die, to be ridiculed for us so that we could spend eternity with him. He sends his son Jesus to this earth to one day die on a cross because... He loves me because he loves me. Because he loves me. And because he loves you. Because he loves you. So I remember sitting there in that seminary class just thinking about Joshua and imagining how hard, how difficult, how painful it would be to even come close to thinking about sacrificing my son and then thinking and coming to the realization that that pain and anguish that I would feel of sacrificing my son is the exact same pain and anguish that God felt when he sent his son to die on a cross for you and for me. And in that moment, it brought tears to my eyes. I sat there in seminary class, in Old Testament class, and tears are streaming down my face. Dr. Ferris, tears are streaming down his face. As we together in that class realized just how much God loved me. God loved us. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the truly amazing thing is that you and I did not deserve it. We get this amazing and wonderful gift and we did not earn it. It's not like buying Christmas gifts for my family members, right? Like there's this obligation at Christmas, right? You buy gifts for people because you know that they're going to give you a gift, right? There's kind of this exchange thing that's going to happen. It's, it's not a gift exchange. It was not like God came, uh, it's not like we came to God and said, God, here I am, let me bring you this. And because I'm bringing this to God, he's then giving us a gift of his son, Jesus. No, it's not like, no, it's more like you show up on Christmas Eve with absolutely no gifts, Nothing to offer, nothing wrapped. 
and you get to that house and God has filled the house with gifts just for you. The house is completely filled with gifts just for you and you've brought nothing in return. And each one of those gifts that God has given you is filled with uh, stuff that will bring you more life and joy than you can ever imagine. That each present will give you peace and life and fill you with a love for all of eternity. That's what this is like. And so at Christmas, during this last month, if you want to experience the love of Christmas, you reflect on these two things. That at Christmas, God made his love tangible. He made it real. And he also demonstrates that his love is sacrificial. And when you reflect on those two things over and over and over again, they begin to move from the head to the heart. And you come to really experience his amazing and wonderful love for you. I just want to close with a quick story. A customs officer observes a truck pulling up at the border. Suspicious, he orders the driver out and searches the vehicle. He pulls off the panels, bumpers, and wheel cases, but finds not a single scrap of contraband. Whereupon, still suspicious but at a loss to know where else to search, he waves the driver through. The next week, the same driver arrives. Again, the official searches and again finds nothing illicit. Over the years, the official tries full body searches, x-rays, and sonar, anything he can think of, and each week the same man drives up, but no mysterious cargo ever appears. And each time, reluctantly, the customs man waves the driver on. Finally, after many years, the officer is about to retire. The driver pulls up. He says, I know you're a smuggler, the customs customs." Customs officer says, don't bother denying it, but darned if I could ever figure out what you've been smuggling all these years. I'm leaving now. I swear to you, I can do you no harm. Won't you please tell me what you've been smuggling? The driver says, trucks. What does that have to do with Christmas and experiencing God's love this season? The hard reality is that for most of us, between the presents, the shopping, the food, the parties, the pageants, the malls, the traffic, the decorations, the coming and going, we can miss so easily what's right in front of us. We can so easily miss what's right in front of us. That at Christmas, we learn and experience a God who loves you more than you can ever Imagine. I know Christmas is coming to an end now. Obviously, it's, you've already probably all celebrated and things are done. And my encouragement for each of us as we move on from Christmas and get into the rest of our lives and the rest of the years, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what Christmas was about. Live and experience the love of Christmas every moment of every day. 1 John 4, 16 says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Think about that for a second. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. We rely, meaning we put our hope, we put our strength, we put our worries, we put our weight on the love God has for us, meaning God's love becomes our experience, not just at Christmas but every day of our lives. In a chair next to you this morning, 
there is a little card. And on that card are the words of 1 John 4, 19. And so as a reminder to experience the love of Christmas every single day of our lives, I just want you to take that. I want you to take it home. I want you to hang it um, in a place in your home where you will see it, maybe on the bathroom mirror, maybe in a shower, maybe on a kitchen cabinet. As a reminder of each and every day that you are amazingly loved, that when you forget that God loves you, when you're feeling unlovable, when you have moments when you lose it <laughs> and you make mistakes, when you have moments where people aren't loving you well and there's a hole in your heart and you're feeling lonely, that there's a reminder that you have a God who loves you so incredibly much and that you can be reminded every day that God demonstrated his love to you so richly by sending his son, his one and only perfect son. Now I'm going to pray here in the moment. And as we pray, the worship team is going to come up. And, and uh, as Russ said earlier, we're doing things a little differently. And so now we're going to sing. And we're going to sing to a God who loves us. Sing worship, sing praises to him at the top of our lungs. And so that's my encouragement this morning. As we wrap up this Christmas season, as we wrap up... Um, everything that's moved on, that we would experience his love this morning, that we could just get lost in his love as we sing praises to him. So let me just pray for us and the worship team will come up. God, we do thank you so much for your amazing and wonderful love for us. God, and I come before you right now and even as I'm preaching this, preaching this message about love and your amazing love for us, I know that in my heart of hearts I grasp just a little bit of your love I know Lord in my own heart like it's still hard for me to truly truly grasp how much you love me how amazing you are and because of my junk because of my past because of the way others have loved me the way that I've loved others. It's hard for me to grasp just how amazing your love is. And so God, I'm praying for me and for all of us in this room, Lord, that as we get done experiencing Christmas, as we get on with the rest of our lives, Lord, that your love for us would never fall away. That God, that we could rest in your love every moment of every day, Lord, that in those moments where we feel incredibly unloved, God, that you would just break through in those moments with your love, that you would communicate to us over and over and over again that you love us. In those moments where we feel unloved, that God, that you would break in and you'd say, hey, dummy, I sent my son Jesus for you. And in that sending, my love became real my love was sacrificial and that we could just rest in those two things that we could continue to reflect on those things every moment of every day God fill us with your love take away every doubt that we might have every thought that we have that says that we're not lovable God that you would just take all that away that we would be filled with your love overflowing God we thank you so much Thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for the baby born in a manger. That one day that baby would die on a cross. That we truly could experience life. True life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.